Amen. You may be seated. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. And Father, we do thank you that you picked us up, you turned us around, you set our feet on solid ground. And Father, we're here to celebrate. We're here to praise you. We're here to glory, uh, not just in the cross, but also in the empty tomb. That, Father, you have made a way for sinners to be declared righteous. You have made a way for rebels to be welcomed into the family of the King. You have made a way for those of us that did not follow after God's law and did not keep keep to the words that God the Father had spoken. You've made a way for us to receive atonement, for sin to be paid for, for those held captive to be ransomed into a new life. So God, that's why we're here, to celebrate and to praise. God, I particularly thank you for Bryce, for his family, um, for the heritage of, uh, of his grandparents here as well this morning and for the generational faithfulness that leads to a young life that is committed to you. I pray your blessing over him. I thank you that we get to celebrate with him this morning what Christ has done in his life. And the same for Raylan, Father. I pray that in her young life, you would continue to show herself strong. You would, that you would cause her to follow the good examples set for her to live a life of faithfulness and righteousness and bring glory to you. God, we pray your blessing over these two young lives, over their families. But God, I pray the same blessing over each one of us, over every individual and every family represented in this room today. Father, we all need grace. We all need new mercy this morning and every morning. We need to be rejuvenated by your spirit, re-enlivened by a deeper understanding of who you are. So Father, may the eyes of our hearts be enlightened this morning through your word. God, may you use us. May you use this group of people, this fellowship, this, this collection of your body here in this local community. Use us for your glory here in Dalton and Whitfield County and all around the nations, Father. We pray that we would be your ambassadors, that we would make disciples, that we would invest in our local community, inspire others to follow Christ, and we would, through our obedience, see disciples made in this nation and every nation. Because, God, you're doing it. We want to be a part. We want to be faithful to what you have called us. So, Father, as we open up the scriptures this morning, as we see how our hearts are prone to wickedness, and yet by the discipline of wisdom, we can see our hearts transformed, and through the work of your Spirit, see our hearts made new. Father, convict our hearts this morning to go deeper into your word, to go deeper in following you. And God, as the kids go, I praise God. For a strong kids ministry that values your gospel that leads to eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds having a firm grasp of who you are and what you've done and a firm desire to follow you with their lives and so father bless every teacher every child care worker bless every child as they go upstairs to hear your word taught well and to be encouraged with the message of your gospel and in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we'll have the kids dismissed to their time of worship uh, upstairs. And by upstairs, I now mean two different upstairs. So if you weren't here last week, we changed some of our classes around. The elementary school students are actually going to the Family Life Center. And they will be upstairs in that room. And so parents, if you have uh, kindergarten, preschool, and, and or kindergarten and down, pick them up here in this building, or sorry, preschool and down, pick them up in this building upstairs at the end of the service. Kindergarten and up will be um, upstairs in the Family Life Center at the end of the service. Um, I hope you were given, as you came in, one of these little little sheets. They have uh, a place to play uh, to take sermon notes on the back. 
There's a place to uh, scan a QR code to get more connected into communications from the church, and, and you get more information about events that way. The few things coming up I want to make you aware of is uh, tonight, uh, youth ministry and kids ministry meeting at 530, and as well as week two of our Reimagining Marriage uh, series. It was really fun last week to sit down with a variety of couples. We had an engaged couple all the way to a couple that had been married for 40 years that were represented in that room. And there was lots of lots of wisdom in the room, um, and we just sat together and we wanted to understand what Scripture says about the biblical paradigm that we're to pursue in our marriages. If you didn't make it last week, feel free to join us this week. Um, it's okay to miss a, to miss a week. We'll we'll get you catch up. I'll I'll give you the notes from last week. But we'd love to have you join us upstairs in the Family Life Center, um, 5:30 tonight for that. At the same time, kids ministry, youth ministry are meeting, and there's a couple of small groups that are meeting on campus as well. Um, on May the 6th, it's a Saturday. Uh, we have a, a dinner that we're still uh, working out the details for, but we want to want you to save the date. Um, our our group of guys that have gone all in to uh, leading the men's ministry breakfast. They've said, you know what, we have really loved cooking for groups of men on Saturday mornings, but we want to do something for the family. And so on Saturday night, May 6th, here on campus, we're going to have a, a cookout hosted by um, those guys that have been cooking for the men's breakfast, and that's for, uh, for all ages to attend. So whether you're a young family or, 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 you don't, or your kids are out of the house or you're single, we'd love for anyone to come. We are going to um, have some sign-ups over the next couple weeks just so we can plan for food. It, uh, we really want to be able to, to plan well for food, and um, so be looking for more details. But for now, save the date on that. Um, on Mother's Day, uh, Sunday, we'll have a little lemonade stand set up um, to bless moms and thank moms, and it'll just be kind of a fun addition to a family service that Sunday. Um, and I want you to save the dates for May the 28th. Memorial Day weekend, May 28th is the day before Memorial Day, and we will again be at the People's Farm in Ringgold. We'll be celebrating there and uh, praying for good weather, a nice day, and the way it works on that Sunday. Uh, we will not be here on campus at all on May the 28th, because I'm, I'm trying to prepare you a month ahead of time for that realization, but we will meet at 11 o'clock out at People's Farm and have a short service there um, outside under a pavilion. It'll be in the shade. Um, and then we'll have lunch together, and the church is providing fried chicken, and then everybody else, we want you to bring sides and desserts to, to supplement that. So make that a priority on your schedule. It's a really, really fun um, church family event, really both May 6th and May 28th. Um, the priority is relationship, community, mutual encouragement, so we'd love to see you um, at both of those. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. We'll continue walking through this, this road towards wisdom. I have a reputation that started with my wife and has gone, a well-deserved reputation, by the way, um, has gone far beyond now just my wife's opinion, but others that share it. And that opinion of me is that I am not typically a deeply emotional person. Um, I've been called a robot before. Um, I like to think of it as just steady and even keel. I think it's a positive thing. Um, but I do not necessarily process deep emotion um, often. I do not uh, typically feel uh, deeply as other humans would experience deep emotions. It's not mean that I don't have emotions. Um, one of the things that you tend to learn as a young man is that uh, family draws it out of you. There's something about getting married that taps into a place emotionally that you haven't been before. Uh, something about as a guy having a little girl, having a daughter especially, sort of taps into that. Having a little boy taps into a different part of that. Um, I don't know why you're all laughing. I didn't, I didn't say anything. Um, but uh, there's something that my kids have really taught me about emotional experiences. And as we open up into Proverbs chapter 4, we're here to experience wisdom at the heart level. This morning, our goal is to lean into Jesus at the heart level and to experience emotion together because God has created our emotions. God has created us not just as thinkers and doers, but also as feelers. So this morning, we, we focus on the heart of wisdom, and the Lord gave me a surprising experience this week. 
um, that sort of has helped me think through just how I interact with life and how I interact with my family and others around me. Um, Thursday morning of this week, uh, I took a dog to the vet that uh, was, uh, Sam was our companion for 15 years. It's a good dog, but I didn't expect what was coming because we, I made the decision in the veterinary office that morning to actually put Sam down after 15 years of um, he was with Jess and I before we had any children. We got him our first year of marriage, and he was just always there, always just a part of your life. And I'm not a pet person. He was just always there and a part of our lives, and sometimes it was inconvenient. I'm not the warm and fuzzy pet person. But there's something about the consistency of a pet, that we did love him. He was a great dog for us. And so as um, Sam was being put down, I recognized, wow, this is, this is deeper of an experience for me than I planned. I thought that this was just sort of, I was the one that drew the short straw because I wasn't going to cry in the vet's office. And, uh, and then I start, I start tearing up and I thought, what is going on here? And you think through the emotions and, and all of the connections and, and how deeply my kids have loved that dog. And I start thinking, man, how am I going to tell Carrie? How am I going to tell the kids? And it starts to unlock something about an emotional experience that I wasn't quite ready for because some of us have become very good throughout the course of our lives at locking away those emotions, at not processing because it's easier to just do than feel. And some of us feel so deeply that sometimes it's hard to do because all we do is feel. And the scriptures speak to both of us today, to both groups, both extreme, extremes, and everybody in between, that God knows how you feel, even if it looks like you don't feel like me. God knows how you process emotions, situations differently than everybody else around you. God created you uniquely. God designed you for a purpose to bring him glory. There's something about the, the unique design he gave to you that does bring glory to him. And so as we look at Proverbs 4, and we're going to be mushy, and we're going to talk about emotions and the heart, maybe there's some that get super excited about those type of conversations. And there's some that are like, eh, just tell me what to do. Give me a task, give me a bullet point. Trust me, I got tasks and bullet points at the end here. But first we've got to kind of lean in to to what Solomon, the speaker in this passage, is saying to his son. Because maybe that helps us get to an emotional point in this, to say this is a father, uh, possibly late in life, trying to, to seek out how is the right way to frame the path of wisdom to a young man who's entering into manhood, entering into adulthood, and has to sort of make decisions for his own life, and dad's not going to be there for, for the whole time to, to direct every little thing. So how can dad set up the son for success? This passage, it builds towards the heart of wisdom in three different steps. First, we talk about the legacy of wisdom, and then we talk about wisdom's light and the battle of light and darkness, and finally we get to the heart of the passage, the heart of wisdom. So join me in Proverbs 1. Uh, we'll, we'll start in verses 1 through 9, which focus on wisdom's legacy. 10 through 19 are the se section on wisdom's light. And 20 through 27 on wisdom's heart. Verse 1 through 9. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. And do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. It's called, that you can just simply refer to as Lady Wisdom or Ms. Wisdom in this passage. And what Solomon's trying to do is trying to get his son to pick the wise woman over the foolish woman, to pick the wise and righteous woman over the wicked woman. And so that's why you see the, the feminine pronouns towards the end of this 
of this section um, where wisdom is referred to as a woman, starting in verse 6. Do not forsake her. She will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. That is wisdom is the her and the she as you go verses 6 through 9. It's important to understand because we could miss it and think, well, who's the woman that's being talked about here? The woman is wisdom that Solomon is trying to get his son to pursue. But look back at the beginning of the passage. This is where I want us to build our, our argument that moves towards the importance of the heart in living a life of wisdom. Because here's ultimately where I want us to end up this morning. I want us to end up in a place where we can agree that knowing to do the right thing is important. Knowing how to do the right thing is important. But knowing how to do the right thing is also often thwarted and sometimes even futile if we continue to love the wrong thing. It doesn't matter how much you know about how to do the right thing if you continue to love doing the wrong thing. Ultimately, this passage will show us that in order to get to righteous behavior, wise living, obedience to Christ, we have to be radically transformed at the heart level, and what we love has to change. One author says, you are what you love. It's a true and a deep concept, because what we love defines our priorities, defines our time, it controls our minds. And we are, over time, always, in good ways and bad ways, transformed, changed, and shaped by what we love. Because the more thought, focus, emotion, attention you put into something, the more something grips you, the more it changes you. And so it's great to know how to do the right thing, to know what the right thing is. But as long as you love the wrong thing, you're just going to be hitting up at the same place and moving ultimately in the same destination towards disobedience. So if you're struggling with a certain sin in your life, if you're struggling after years of walking with Christ, wondering how do I take the next step, why is it that I'm still battling these same battles over and over and over again, I believe this passage has some insight for us. And, and it starts with a legacy, the path towards wisdom and the path towards the heart is understanding the legacy of wisdom. We all are, have inherited a certain legacy from our own families. We've inherited certain patterns, some of them good, strong patterns, some of them godly patterns, some of them maybe not necessarily godly patterns, but, but, but patterns of, of human responsibility and hard work. And some of us have, have inherited some negative patterns. Think about how your legacy has shaped you. We can have negative legacies that have a profound effect on people. A negative legacy such as, as marital brokenness or marital unfaithfulness can have a profound effect on a young person and, and even into adulthood. Many adults still struggle with the pattern that was set for them at an early age. Negative legacies such as alcoholism such as dishonesty, an addiction in general, it doesn't have to be alcoholism, any sort of addictive tendency within a family builds a negative legacy. Self-centeredness builds a negative legacy. Greed builds a negative legacy. A heart set on money and human success builds a negative legacy. And all of us are products of, of diverse and complex legacies. And some of us are, have these mixtures of legacies within our families where there's plenty of goods and, and positives, and there's a few negative things built, built in there too. Maybe, maybe there's some, some real God-honoring righteousness, but then there's a little bit of greed. There's a little bit of self-centeredness that can poison and, and contaminate the legacy that we receive. But the goal here that Solomon is giving to his son is take what I have received. Is, Solomon is saying essentially, I'm taking what I've received from my father. And I'm giving it to you. And we're going to keep building the family legacy further. And strengthen the family as we go. Look at verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight. I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, 
the only one in the sight of my mother. You see how even, we haven't gotten to the part that I told you actually focuses on the heart, but he's, he's building some tenderness in this passage. He's preparing you with a little bit of nostalgia, a little bit of, of family sentimentality there. He's getting you to picture this, this older man was once a child and was once deeply loved, sitting on his, on his mother and father's knee, receiving instruction from loving parents. And he speaks of the day when he was the only one in the sight of, of his mother, meaning he was the only child of his mother. He was the, the only object of her, of her affections from a maternal standpoint. And his father was directing him. And he said, in his direction, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. So the father's ultimate instruction, the legacy of wisdom built into this family starts at the heart level. He doesn't just say, listen to what I'm saying, hear what I'm saying, and do it. He said, let this sink in to your heart. How many times have we have parents looked at a child with frustration and said, why don't you get it? Why can't this just sink in? And, and, and we want it to sink in so that the behavior is altered. We are so often, so easy as a parent to fall into the trap of just wanting the outside to look different. And what Solomon is ultimately recognizing here is what matters most is the inside. Don't just let your brain receive the words I'm saying. Let it sink into your heart because at that level, you will be transformed and, and the, the heart leads the brain, not the other way around. Sometimes the brain can, through discipline, reshape the heart with new information that can change your heart. But at the end of the day, our hearts lead our brains far more than our brains lead our hearts. We have to be recognizing that. We have to understand that tendency in each of us. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to build off of this legacy he's received and build in a legacy with his son. It's a lesson that each one of us need to learn. That what we're doing in our family, and what we're doing in this big family that we call a church, what we ultimately want to do is inherit a legacy and continue to build on that legacy to build a future of, of even more Christ-likeness. And so in my family, on a small scale, it looks like I look at the example set by our parents, and I recognize that both Jess and I have been blessed by having believing parents, and we want to build on that legacy, and we want to transfer that legacy into our children and parent, and parent in the way we were parented in positive ways. Some ways we might parent differently because we recognize no set of parents, even Christian parents, is perfect. And so even if, though, in your, local, in your individual family, even if the pattern you receive, the legacy you receive is not as positive, not as Christ-centered, you can still take some positives, figure out what it is that I can learn from that was good, and instill in the Christ-likeness and, and the, the importance of following Jesus and pursuing wisdom to build a new legacy. So some of us are inheriting a legacy and passing it on in our family. Some of us are, are rewriting a legacy, taking some of the negatives and trying to, trying to pursue Christ at a greater level in our families than what we receive. But so the church is just a larger family, okay? And what we're trying to do is we're trying to receive 2,000 years of legacy. Some good, some bad, right? The church as a whole has messed up a few times. There have been some Christians that have acted in wickedness, that have, that have been, been disobedient to God, so we recognize not everything in church history is perfect, but there's a beautiful, rich legacy there. There's so much wisdom there, and not even just 2,000 years of, of church history, but going back to the, the old covenant wisdom of the nation of Israel, God has implanted within humanity great wisdom through his spirit and through his word he's given us a legacy that is worth pursuing and so what is the goal of the church to go and to make disciples and so what we're doing as we're making disciples we're receiving we're inheriting a legacy of following jesus we're passing it on we're, we're receiving ultimately not just a legacy from our christian parents or our christian ancestors receiving the legacy from God's own son. Because my goal is not to be like my dad, and his goal was not to be like his dad, both Christians. 
My goal is to be like Jesus. So ultimately, the legacy of wisdom here is going all the way back to Jesus. And Jesus said to his followers, come after me. Follow me. And his followers said, here, we learned what it was like to follow Jesus. We're going to pull other people along and following Jesus as well. That's what discipleship is. Intentionally moving somebody towards Jesus. Intentionally taking another person and moving them towards Jesus. So there's a lot of similarities here between receiving and passing on the legacy of Old Testament wisdom and the New Testament process called discipleship. What we're trying to do in passing on wisdom and Christ's righteousness to the next generation, we're discipling the next generation. And we come together to do that as a church because we're stronger together. And sometimes parents and children need some additional support in walking those difficult paths. And that's what the church is all about. So what, what Solomon's doing, and his son in Proverbs 4, is discipling him to walk in wisdom. And what we're doing is we're following that same sort of pattern. We're seeking to get people to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to serve like Jesus. Jesus didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to tell us to love our neighbors as ourselves and to pray for our enemies. And, and Jesus came to speak the truth and to tell people about the kingdom of heaven. And he told us to do the same. And the scriptures tell us to take what we've heard about Jesus, about the truth, and pass it on to future generations. That's the legacy we're pursuing. But it's a legacy that's built on the imagery of family, that's built in this warm, relational sense of what it means to be a family. And guys, brothers, sisters, that's our task. As a local church, as a global church, to be a big family that loves each other, that puts up with the, the crazies within the family, and serves each other for the sake of pursuing Christ together, building a greater legacy for, for future generations. But sometimes the world does a better job of discipleship than the church. Sometimes the culture of the world, which is built on self-centeredness and built on our sin, sometimes that's, it's easier to get people to adapt the culture of, of other forces than to adapt the culture of the kingdom of heaven. What we want to do in discipleship is get people to look like Jesus and to adapt the culture of, of Christ's eternal kingdom. What the world wants to do is anything but that. And you see why that culture is easier to disciple somebody into. Because there's endless options over here. There's a narrow path of following Jesus. And there's a very, an exceptionally wide path with all sorts of options that any sort of selfishness, any sort of sin path can lead us into. And we have to recognize and discern where we see the cultural paths coming and where we see the, the, the Christian path being infiltrated by the cultural path. And so that's what wisdom, what Proverbs is trying to get us to do. Look at the legacy that you have received from Christ first and foremost. And follow him above all else. And build that legacy in. And recognize that our goal as a church is to walk together through incredible challenges. Through challenges built off of a self-centeredness that leads to a, an identity crisis within culture. Because we live in a culture that, that honors the self above all else. In which right and wrong, Christ, Christ righteousness, law... Those, are, those things are all secondary because the self is king. The self is what matters most. So whatever helps you and yourself feel, feel better, feel accepted, feel more of who you are, feel like a greater individual, that's what culture honors. And that's a super wide path. There's all sorts of options in there, and we can see that in culture. More and more options of identity and different identities that we can pursue. And Christ's path, is a path towards righteousness, looking like him, serving like him, loving like him. And so this is the legacy piece of a father looking at a son, remembering the, the grandfather's input and saying, hold this in your heart, receive the positive legacy and build on it for future generations. Wisdom, we have an advantage. We have an advantage in the legacy that we've received. Maybe you feel like in your family you're at a disadvantage because you've received some negative legacies within your individual family. 
But I can tell you that within the Christian family, the good news is, the, the great news is that we have received an incredibly positive, righteous, and pure legacy from Christ himself that is calling us forward and calling us deeper into a life of Christ. So as we move towards the heart, we start with the legacy. And then we move into the light, verses 10 through 19. I'll read those now. Hear, my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. It's wisdom again. Wisdom is your life. Verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, so that they, they do not know over what they stumble. Here we have a description of the path of darkness and the path of light. Remember, the path of light is far narrower, far, far more focused and, 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 and determined, defined, there's the word, far more defined than the path of darkness. The path of darkness, you, you can be on the path of darkness and do just about anything you want. But the path of light, the path of righteousness, it's narrow. It's difficult. I once heard of somebody that was a star athlete that the way he came as a young man to be a star athlete was he, he ate, he drank, he slept, he breathed basketball. You hear that expression? He eats, sleeps, and breathes baseball. And for that reason, it's all, and it, we know what that means. We, it means that it's all he thinks about, it's all he pursues, and that that, that sort of uh, dominance in his mind has led to great success in that area. The path of darkness is described in very similar terms in this passage. The people that walk in darkness cannot sleep, in verse 16, until they've done wrong. They eat wickedness for breakfast. They drink violence. And so what, what that's saying there is that once you enter into the path of wickedness in ways that you do not understand, in ways that may not feel exceptionally wicked to you, the path of darkness, the path of rejecting Christ's light, ultimately, leads towards, ultimately it leads towards violence, towards wickedness, towards self-centeredness, and evil and wickedness. Because if you're living in the dark, you're eating, you're drinking, you're sleeping, you're breathing in the darkness every single day. And darkness brings more darkness. And wickedness brings more wickedness. And the more you fall into disobedience, the worse it gets. And so the people of the darkness are described in verse 14 as wicked, as evil. They cannot sleep without, without doing evil. They, they cause others to stumble. That's their actual goal in this verse 16. It's not just affecting themselves, but affecting others. They're constantly in the dark. John 3, 19 says it this way. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God. Okay, so what does that mean for us? That means that the dark is easy dark is easy. It's easy to be drawn into the light, and you're going to be drawn into the light as your, as your heart is moving towards selfishness, as your heart is moving towards self-preservation, self-protection, self-provision, self whatever it is that is first and foremost in your heart that you are loving and grasping at in your heart, it will pull you to darkness as long as it's anything other than Christ's glory and the obedience of Christ and honoring Christ. There's only one position of the heart that pulls us towards the light. John 3 tells us love is what pulls us towards the dark. So if it's love that pulls us towards the light, or if it's love that pulls us towards the dark, it is also a greater love 
that pulls us towards the light. And so the question is not, what do you, what are you doing? The question is not even, what do you, what do you plan to do? The question is, what is your heart longing for you to do? Because that's going to determine your direction far more than what you think is right. Because your heart that wants to do evil, that wants to self-preserve, that wants worldly success, worldly proclaim, worldly acceptance, that heart is going to pull you back towards the darkness until you love Christ first and foremost, and you first love obedience of Him and, and truth and, and beauty as Christ defines it. The way of the light is not like the way of the dark. Imagine what this would be like. I want you to just close your eyes for a second. I want you to imagine what it would be like to just be fumbling around in the dark. Like somebody tell me that this is close to somebody in this room because they told me that they tripped over a platform in the dark late last night. So, so imagine that you're, that you're fumbling around in the dark. You don't know where you're going. You feel this pressure and this anxiety. Am I going to step in the wrong place? Am I going to hurt myself? And then all of a sudden, bam, the lights come on. You can open your eyes. I want you to think about how freeing that feeling must be. How freeing that feeling. We've all been there before, stumbling around in the dark in our house or something. But I want you to think about in the contemporary world we live in, how frustrating the world is, right? Sometimes it feels like we're stumbling around in the dark every day. Sometimes the, the challenges of this world, of your work life, of your family life, of, your, uh, of, of government and politics, of, of school, of all of those things that are so complex, so divisive, and at times really, really, truly wicked. Sometimes it feels like even as Christians who are in the light, like we're walking around fumbling in the darkness. How do I live for Christ with how messed up everything is around me? That's one of the questions that Proverbs leads us to. And I'll remind you that Proverbs defines wisdom as boldness. Boldness in the face of life's uncertainties. Boldness in the face of life's traumas. Boldness in the face of life's inevitable crises and challenges. Wisdom allows us to walk in the light even when the world is dark. Imagine what that would, must be like to always know. Imagine that you woke up every morning and you knew the right thing to do in every situation and every challenge you faced in your life. I'm not sure any of us really feel like that, live like that every day. I think we all have these challenges, relational or otherwise, that we're just not sure what we should say, what we should do, how do we navigate this challenging path. And, and we could all use that more wisdom. And the promise of Proverbs is that Christ's light gives you that further direction, that deeper understanding. But this passage is showing us that in order to get to that point of deeper understanding, it starts ultimately in the heart. Because the Proverbs are given both to enlighten and instruct simple hearts, but also enliven cold, dead hearts. And so out of this wisdom should come life, should come energy, should come zeal to live a life that honors Christ. Why? Because we love him. Because we've seen all of the affections that the world has to offer. We've seen all of the pleasures. We've seen all the opportunities that the darkness gives. And we're choosing, we're choosing to love and to live in the light. So let's look at the heart in verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are like life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. So what he's saying is these words of wisdom, they're going to bring life. They don't just bring information, they bring life. So listen to these words carefully. Verse 23, the verse I want you to walk home remembering. Keep your heart with all its vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. 
ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So again, in verse 21, he says, this instruction is not just mental knowledge base, but keep this, this instruction at your heart level. The words that I'm saying, don't just receive them into your brain. Don't just observe them. Don't just hear me out. Keep these instructions in your heart. Let your heart be transformed. And then in verse 23, protect your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Verse 20 through 27 describe listening in a holistic way. Because in verse 20, we see that you're supposed to listen with your ears. In verse 21, we see him talk about your sight. In verse 25, your eyes. So listen with your ears, listen with your eyes. Verse 24, you put away crooked speech. That means if you're going to listen well, you've got to shut your tongue off for a little bit. So you listen with your eye in verse 20, with your, or sorry, ear, verse 20, eyes in 20 and 25, tongue in 24. You listen with your feet in 26 and 27 because the path of your feet does matter. You ponder the path of your feet in 26. And verse 27, you don't swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So ear, eyes, tongue, feet, they all matter. That's all part of listening to good instruction and good direction. So as we approach the Word of God, engage your eyes, engage your ears, engage your mind, engage your feet, engage your tongue. But more than anything, 21 and 23, keep these teachings within your heart and keep your heart with all vigilance. Jesus would say in Matthew 12, it is out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. We don't just need to, listen, when, when, when one of my kids says something that they shouldn't in anger, the problem is not, is not that they just said something. The problem is that there's some emotion that led to the, to the heart overflowing into that angry comment or that combative comment. So the problem is not just you said the wrong word. The problem is your heart is broken it needs transformed, and part of my job as a parent is to teach you how to pursue Christ and walk in the light. It's not just about getting your kids to shut up and not say bad stuff. It's about seeing your kids transformed and seeing your kids live in righteousness because the problem with the mouth is the heart. There's an old Puritan, Thomas Chalmers. The Puritans, you know, when I say the word Puritan, you're going to have some sort of assumption about what I'm talking about. And sometimes the Puritans come across in, in our historical mindset as super grumpy, super closed off, judgmental. Um, there was a group of Puritans that were deep theologians of the heart, deeply emotional thinkers that came to Scripture to learn and discern what Scripture had to say about the heart. It was the Puritans that first discovered that in all of the biographies of Jesus, there's four in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only one time in Jesus' life does he actually describe his heart. Now, Jesus describes the importance of other people, like I just said in Matthew 12, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know that Scripture from Proverbs and other places, even in the Old Covenant, speak of the importance of the heart, guarding the heart. And Jesus, one time in Scripture, defines his own heart. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. My burden is easy, my yoke is light. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. It was the Puritans that made that discovery that started to recognize that following Christ is a heart-level affection. As Thomas, Chal Thomas Chalmers wrote hundreds of years ago, that in order to fight sin, most of us, many of us, throughout Christian history, have taken the wrong approach to fight sin. And we want to fight sin with self-discipline. We want to fight sin with determination, by gritting our teeth and just trying really hard not to sin. We know what to do and we know what not to do, so let's just grin and, and bear it and let's try not to do that bad thing anymore. And Thomas Chalmers wrote a famous sermon in which he said, the battle between sin and righteousness can only be won with what he calls the expulsive power of a new affection. And that means affection, love. 
expulsive means that if you want your sin to be expelled from your heart, from your life, you need to love something different. And when you love something different, and you fall more in love with Christ and, and honoring Christ, fall more in love with the truth, fall more in love with Christ's kingdom and, the, and, and what, what comes in the end, then you'll begin to see that that lesser love has been expelled. C.S. Lewis would say, the problem with humanity is not that our affections are too strong, but that they're too weak. He said many in his day felt that people just had too strong of affections. They loved too many things. They were too emotional, and they were prone to all these, these behaviors, these sinful patterns. And C.S. Lewis said, no, no, no. The problem is not strong affections. The problem is weak affections. Because weak affections try to find sustenance and provision in lesser things. Strong affections are only satisfied by the greatest thing. Strong affections are only satisfied by a heart that is enlivened by Christ. As I said earlier, one way to think about this is you are what you love. Trust me, if you love wickedness, you'll see wickedness flowing out of your heart, into your mind, and into your life. And so then our pursuit of wisdom must be a heart-level pursuit. That means for some of us, we need to embrace emotion at a deeper level. We need to learn how to feel. There's, there's generations of, of men that have been taught that emotions, you've got to be really careful of those. You, you don't want to be too expressive. You don't want to be too emotional. And let's, let's be real. People experience emotion differently. Men and women experience emotion differently. But, but it's not as simple as just distinguishing between the way men experience emotion and women experience emotion. We all experience emotion differently. And what, what the scripture is calling us towards here is love Christ, love wisdom, treasure wisdom, righteousness, and Jesus in your heart. Because that's the only way you're ever going to change. It's the only way your life is ever going to look different. It's the only way you're ever going to build a good legacy for your kids. You can try to build a good legacy for your kids by working hard and storing up a, a large uh, retirement and savings and, and put away a bunch of money so that your kids can live comfortably. That's not the legacy that God requires for your kids. That's not the ultimate legacy that you need to be focused on. But a legacy of what it means to deeply, at the heart, in every category of your life, love Jesus first and have your life and your family Everything about who you are and what you do shaped deeply by the love of Christ. Shaped deeply by the experience of Christ. There's so many things warring for our attention, warring for our devotion. And it's easy to fall into those traps. It's easy to love the darkness. But it takes the transformative power of his spirit to love the light and to love Jesus. So here's where we think about the message of the gospel in a reflective way and say, okay, if I'm a person that loves the darkness, how do I get out of that kingdom of darkness, come over here and get transferred into the kingdom of light? And the gospel says there's only one way you can do it. You don't fall in love by trying hard to love. You fall in love by a transformative experience. And so the starting point here for every single one of us is a transformative experience. where We actually recognize we come to hate our sin. And we come to the point where we feel we have no other choice but to reject the brokenness, the disgusting heritage of our sin. And we confess our sin. We recognize Jesus is deeply loving us and reaching out to us. We receive him and we receive new life. That transformative experience, that's part one. That's the starting point. We all need to get to that point. If you're not at that point today, then I'd invite you in our last song here in a few minutes, find me, and we'll get to that point together. Fall in love with Jesus today. And you fall in love with Jesus today by confessing your sin and recognizing you're carrying a burden of shame and guilt. You don't have to carry. You don't have to carry that. Jesus will take it away, and Jesus will give you new life. 
But see, then even uh, those of us that are Christians that have had that transformative experience, we're really good at going back to the dark because we're still battling those selfish desires. We still want to go back to what feels right, what feels better. And so the challenge for us is to do the deep level, the deep heart level work of actually pursuing the one who has loved you. You know, when Jesus comes and transforms you, that's the first act that leads to a life of love for him. But your sin, your fallen nature, your busyness, your focus on other things, it can cause you to fall out of love with Jesus. Little by little, day by day. You forget him, you deprioritize him, and you start living your old way again. And how do you fight your way back? Well, it's that, it's that holistic attention. You fight your way back with your feet in the right place, your ears open, your eyes open, and your heart open. Doing the little things, establishing those key habits in your life of just resting in the presence of God. Maybe it's as simple as just sitting in creation with your mind set on who Jesus is and what his kingdom is. Your mindset on that first day. I pray that seeing, that seeing an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old baptized today has welled up some emotion in you of thinking about that day that you first gave your life to Christ as a young person. Or that day you watched your kids give your life to Christ. Focus on those moments of love and emotion and lean into them and start to pursue a life that would lead towards a deeper affection and a deeper love. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we're going to, I'm going to give you three points. I said, some of you don't like emotions. You want bullet points. Here's your bullet points. We'll call it a call to action. Number one, we have to embrace the legacy we've received. And as I said, we can think about legacy as what we've received from our parents, but an even better way to think about legacy is what we've received from Jesus and the 2,000 years of faithful followers of Jesus, that have, the legacy they've built for us since then. We embrace that, and we seek to build that. In our homes, in our families, in our church, we want to build a culture in an individual family that loves Jesus. And that culture in that individual family flows into a church, a local church, and it flows into a community, and it can flow throughout the nations if we truly invest and truly lean in to build that legacy. I want to ask you, too, to take the step towards the light. Think about what it is that's pulling you out of the light of Christ. What it is that's pulling you away from scripture, pulling you away from prayer, pulling you away from time with other believers, pulling you out of a small group, out of church attendance, out of investment in the things of God, and just take the faithful step to say, I'm going to turn from this. I'm going to turn from this lesser affection and towards the light. And lastly, take some time and invest in your heart. What would it look like to spend some intentional time in prayer and to ask the Lord, what is it that I'm loving most? And you know what? It's okay to pray with your calendar open. Say, okay, I'll look back at my calendar or I'll look back at my bank account. I'll look back at my text messages and my phone calls. What does my time and attention reveal about what I love the most? What does my calendar reveal about what I love the most? What does my phone reveal about what I love the most? And say, Jesus, I need your help. I need your help to go deeper because I want to invest in you and your kingdom. I want to fall back in love. So stand, sing with us. I invite you to worship where you're seated, to stand, to come forward. Whatever it is the Spirit of God is calling you to do as you move deeper into the love of Christ this morning. May we all worship.
presence for another few minutes I fear that father in this room there is a heart there is a soul that is still rejecting loving the darkness over the light and father I pray right now you would break down the burdens break down the barriers free heart, free mind to freely receive you. May your spirit bring new life this morning, our great sovereign Lord. Father, may we all live in this experience of every morning, every day, every hour and minute even, laying it all all our pride, all our strength, all our own gifts, all our own ideas, all our own desires. Father, may we lay it all at your feet. All the shame, all the disgrace, all the failure, and all the pain, may we lay it all at your feet. The broken hopes, the broken dreams, the things we've done, and the things that have been done to us, may we lay it all at your Father, may we walk out this morning ready to be used, ready to live transformed by your glory and for your name's sake. Father, send us out in your power. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now remain standing and receive the blessing from the Lord this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.